Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. Still playing some of my favorite podcasts from the past. Today I want to share with you one on routine traffic stops. Uh, this one garnered me a lot of hate <laughs> and uh, a lot of love too, if we're honest about things. Um, th- this is a, uh, a conversation that I think I could have had the first half of uh, years and years ago. Um, but the second half uh, was really something that I think I've I've come to understand more uh, in the last few years, and I thank a lot of people for that who have uh, who've been helpful for me in understanding uh, the world, especially when it comes to seeing things through uh, different people's eyes uh, a lot better. Um, this obviously came out of. Uh, some of the shootings that happened uh, here in Minnesota and around the uh, around the country, uh, particularly involving African American men and uh, and in police stops, um, I uh, <laughs> I have a a, a lot of uh, kind of strange thoughts on policing and traffic stops and engineering and design, and they all kind of intersect here in this one podcast. So if you're listening. And you're like, I don't know where this guy's going, or I'm not sure about this one, or, uh, you know, hang with me. Uh, I think I do tie it together pretty well here at the end, at least well in the way that I intend to say it. As always, uh, love your feedback, and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another podcast. Take care, everybody. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. Uh, years ago, I, I ran my own planning company. And one day I was sitting at my desk and one of my colleagues came storming into the office. And he is a pretty mild-mannered guy, not one to kind of gratuitously go off half-cocked. you know. And he, he comes in and I could just see this storm cloud over him. And he's like slamming stuff down and, uh, you know, carrying on. And uh, I came to find out that he had gotten a ticket. He had gotten pulled over and issued a, a, a citation for not coming to a complete stop at a stop sign. <laughs> now, <laughs> it was uh, the, the incident happened in the city of Breezy Point, which is uh, north of Brainerd, where I live. He had gone up there to, to we were working for the city, actually. Um, they had had uh, some turnover and we were kind of filling in part time until they brought in someone full time. And he had gone up there to, to cover uh, a couple things and pulled into the main intersection in town. Really, I, I, I think it might be. Now there's other stop signs in town, but this is like the main intersection and just looking at it. I mean, I, I've, I've been here many, many, many times. It's one of those where you pull up and you can see, you know, a half a mile in each direction. So he pulls up to this and supposedly he, he rolled through, he contends quite forcefully that he came to a complete stop. Nevertheless, the police officer pulled him over and I, you know, I don't know what his reaction was. He's, He's not a guy to pick a fight, but I'm sure he was a little shocked and, and like, you know, what, what you're joking me, um, actually got a a ticket and he was, he was pretty ticked off. It didn't surprise me and it didn't surprise me not because, uh, Tim, you know, has this history of breaking the law. (laughs) He doesn't, like I say, he's a, he's a pretty standard, mild, uh, easygoing guy. The problem was that, uh, I, you know, I, I had worked in the city and I knew how their police department operated for a while. I had served as their city administrator. They were in the process of bringing on an administrator. I filled in part-time. This is something that I did in, in many different jurisdictions across the state. Uh, when they needed someone temporarily, they would call us and, and we would fill in. Um, so I had met in that capacity with their police chief. Let me just say, he's a really nice guy. He's not there anymore. He's retired. He's a really nice guy. His kids had my mom in school. My mom was a teacher. 
uh, for many years. His, his kids had my mom. They liked my mom. My mom liked them. I liked them. They're, they're nice people. They're, they're, they're really nice people. Um, but he explained to me how they did business and, and he was not shy about this. He was very proud of it. He, you know, was very clear on the way they operated. He said that he had instructed his officers to be aggressive in pulling people over. Uh, they, they call this often an investigatory stop. So someone pulls up to a, a stop sign. They don't come to a complete stop. You pull them over. And you use that incident as a way to, and I'm going to use my words, not his, as a way to kind of fish for other things, right? So you run their license. Do they have a warrant? Do they have expired tabs? Is, 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 do you smell alcohol? Do you smell pot? You know, is there, is there something else? And he told me about this approach and how they did this and, and said that essentially it was a really good way for them to kind of interdict into the, the mainstream happenings of the community and find nefarious activity. He told me they've found numerous people with warrants. They have discovered numerous people with drugs. Uh, this was one of the ways that they were able to do policing. And according to him, they had a, a pretty high success rate of identifying what they would call like really bad characters, right? <laughs> but my friend Tim got caught in, in the crossfire, right? And didn't, didn't appreciate it. I have to say, I had gotten pulled over in Breezy Point 2 a number of times be before this, before I was aware of this. Actually, since I've been aware of this, if, if there's multiple routes I can take and one goes through Breezy Point and one doesn't, I, I just, I don't go through Breezy Point. I stay away from it. I stay far, far away from Breezy Point. Uh, but uh, I, I had in years past gotten pulled over uh, in Breezy Point a couple of times. One time I had a red, uh, I had a, a taillight out. One of my taillights were out. I had a Toyota Echo. If you know a Toyota Echo, there's a little car that I had for a long time. We, we had had mice in the garage that had gotten in the car and chewed some of the wires. And I, I, I got it all fixed, but we could not figure out why this taillight would go out. And the, the frustrating thing is that it would be on right? It would work just fine. And then it would flicker out. And literally all you had to do to get it to work was go back and pound on it. And it would, it would click back in. And I, I brought this to the, the, the dealership. They went through it. We, we did all kinds of stuff and we just could not figure this weird thing out. So I got pulled over in breezy point for that once. And the police officer came to the door, you know, do you know why I'm pulling you over? No, I have no idea. He goes, well, you've got a taillight out. I'm like, oh, and I, I explained to him what was going on. I said, could I get out and fix it? Cause I'll show you, I can, I can fix it. And he's like, sure, you know, pop your trunk and uh, we'll go back there and take a look at it. So I popped the trunk and we went back and he shined his light around the trunk and I guess made sure I didn't have any dead bodies in there. And uh, I tapped on the light and it, it turned back on and he said, all right, well, you know, why don't you get that fixed? And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've been down that road, dude. But anyway, he let me go and I, I, I went on my way. I've been pulled over many, many times. In fact, I, I've often thought like if, if I became uh, a, a public figure, the kind that was subjected to scrutiny, uh, the, the way that like a political candidate would be, for example, that one of the things that would come up was this horrific driving record that I have. I, I don't know how many speedy tickets I have, I would say if you gave me like an over under more or less than 10, I would say more, more or less than 15. Mm, I would say less than 15. So somewhere in that range, 10 to 15 speeding tickets. I'm, I'm 43. So I've been driving, you know, decades now, but most of my tickets came in like a very specific period of time. It was a period of time when I was running my own planning company we were working all over the state. I, I would have night meetings literally 14, 15 times a month. And they were always in some remote rural location. And I would be driving back home in that kind of magical period of time between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. <laughs> now, why is that a magical period of time? It's a magical period of time because the police are like very aware that there's a lot of um, people who are out driving intoxicated during those hours. People go to the bar, they're heading home, they've had too much to drink. 
And particularly in a lot of these small towns, it becomes a very, um, and I want to say, I I, want to say this in the right way. It's, it's, It's like a very easy and convenient way to do one of these investigatory stops and find out if someone's been drinking or not, right? Out on the edge of all these towns, every, every single one of them, there's this transition zone where the highway design is the, the same. Everything looks the same. Uh, you're going legally 55 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden it changes to 40 or changes to 30. And there's kind of this uh, abrupt transition, even though the visual cues to the driver are, are no different, right? Like everything's the same. It's just that there's a sign there. People speed through these areas all, all the time. I mean, it's, it, it is, I, to this day, I, I know where a lot of them are. I was driving home from Grand Rapids the other day and I drove through this little town of Deer River and it seemed like a mile out of town, it switches to 40 miles an hour for, for no discernible reason. And then when you get to town and it becomes more discernible, like, okay, I, I should be driving a lot slower now, you, you, you naturally start to slow down. But you have this stretch out on the edge where it, unless you catch the sign, unless you, you know, there's no other cue is what I'm trying to say. There's no other visual cue that tells you drive slower except for this, this road sign. So I would get pulled over all the time. I mean, all the time. I, I, it just seemed like it was all, and it was always, you know, 50 and a 40, 55 and a 45, you know, those kind of things. I, I, I got pulled over for going, you know, uh, 45 and a 40. I mean, I've gotten pulled over for all, it was just like, it was a pretext, right? Like you were, breaking the law, which clearly I'm, I'm not arguing that I was not breaking the law. I, I was breaking the law. I was going fast. Um, but these are places that during the day, nobody bothers with, right? Like there's no police officer that sits in most of these places. They go out during these high crime periods of time and they, they try to pull people over because a percentage of them will be drinking. And, and generally when I would get pulled over, the police officer would come up and he'd say, you know, do you know why I pulled you over? And I say either, yes, I was exceeding the speed limit or gosh, really, I have no idea. The latter usually tick them off. Um, the former, um, they kind of appreciated that you would acknowledge that you were going too fast. Uh, but then we'd have a little bit of dialogue and I think they would figure out that I was not drinking. And generally I would be allowed to go on my way. Every now and then I would get a ticket, but generally I was allowed to go on my way. I had this thing um, for a while. Uh, where I, if I was wearing a tie, I did not get a ticket. And I want to say I had a stretch of like five or six times where I I was wearing a tie and I did not get a ticket. And so I actually got a little clip on tie and I wore a tie to most of my meetings. So I I was pretty much wearing a tie, but I, I, there was sometimes where I didn't. And if I had a collared shirt, I would have this little clip on tie. And as soon as I saw the lights, you know, they were not seen in your car. So it's like, you can, you know, I I would reach over. I had my tie right there. I would put my clip on tie on. And when they came up, I would, I would have my tie on and I, I I never got a ticket. I I think I'd got a ticket once, but it was years later. Uh, During that period of time when I was getting pulled over a lot, I did not get any tickets with a a tie on. I just didn't. Um, So this is the, the, this is the, the kind of interaction with police that I have experienced that, that I've seen from the, uh, from the perspective of a affluent, uh, professional person who has worked in city government with police officers, uh, and seen how all of this operates. Like I, I, I feel like I get the system and I actually don't think just in my, in my heart, like I, I don't think that any of these people are evil. I would get frustrated with the officers because I'm like, why are you doing like, this is just, oh, it would make me so frustrated. But I never got to the point where I'm like, okay, these police officers are, are just evil. They're like terrible. They're, they're doing wrong. They, they were doing what we expected them to do, right? They were doing what we asked them to do. And, and when they would show up at the council meetings and say, yep, we pulled, you know, we had this many tickets that we issued. We set up a little speed trap out on the edge of town, or we would, we would park in this spot on the edge of town and, and boy, you know, we'd get one or two, um, you know, drunk drivers, a a, a week or a night or whatever the rate was, the, the council would applaud and the public would applaud. And in general, um, you know, we, we applaud, uh, the, 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 the perceived like interdiction of crime, right? Like we're, this is, we're good with this. I get it. I, 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 I totally 
I totally, totally get it. I want to talk a little bit about Philando Castile. Um, the, the gentleman who was killed by the St. Anthony police here in Minnesota a few weeks back during a routine traffic stop, it, it, it came out in the newspaper in the following weeks that he had been pulled over by police 49 times, uh, 49 times. And I remember looking at that number going, wow, that, that is a huge number of times to get pulled over. And then I thought, how many times have I been pulled over? <laughs> 49, not, probably not 49. Now, uh, Castile was, you know, 11 years younger than me. Um, I probably haven't been pulled over 49, but maybe like 30. I've, I've, I've probably been pulled over 30 times. Uh, you know, 49 is, a, is an amazingly high number for anyone. I think 30 is probably a high number. If, if I looked at someone like my wife, um, who doesn't drive in these, you know, high pullover rate kind of times and doesn't drive in high pullover rate kind of neighborhoods, um, uh, she's probably been pulled over five times, six times. So my 30 would seem huge. 49 seems just like outrageously high. Right. And the local newspaper laid out kind of what was going on. And, and I'm, I'm going to read a, a quote from them because it sounded like eerily familiar to me, right? Both from my experience as a driver and also as the administrator in the city where I'd had an opportunity to work with the police chief. Here's what the Star Tribune, the, the state newspaper here in Minnesota said. They said, quote, Castile had been stopped before when officers spotted him not wearing a seatbelt or when an officer ran his plate number and found his license had been revoked for not paying an earlier fine. Numerous stops came after he didn't use a turn signal. A few came after he was speeding. He was stopped for rolling through a right turn on a red light, having window tints that were too dark, and at least twice for not having a rear license plate light. He was rarely ticketed for the reason he was stopped. Now, I don't bring this up. I, I, we're not going to talk at all about police shootings here, and we're not going to talk at all about uh, that, that, that whole controversy. I, I, I don't want to get into it. I have some opinions I don't know as I have any strong towns type of opinions on it. Uh, it, it all makes me sad. I, I don't want to get into it. And, and please, some of the people in the article that I wrote this week on the blog wanted to go there, and I don't. I, I, there are plenty of places talking about that, and I think they should go talk about that there. I don't want to talk about that. If, if he had broken the law, if, if he had a taillight out, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not suggesting that the cops were wrong in pulling him over. And I'm also not suggesting that the police were wrong in pulling me over any of the times that I got pulled over. I know they were legitimate traffic stops, right? What I do want to talk about today is a couple of things regarding this notion of the investigatory stop and how to view that in light of the environment that we have built. I want to put forth the notion that everybody breaks traffic laws. And I know there are people listening right now like, well, I never break traffic laws. Yeah, yes, you do. <laughs> you, yes, you do. You, 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 have, you break traffic laws. At, at times, every, you, you don't know your headlights out, right? You don't know your taillights out. You, you're telling me that you always do uh, you know, a preventative maintenance check before you turn on your vehicle and, and make sure that all of the lights are working. No, you don't. You, you've broken traffic laws, right? You come to an absolute complete stop with an interval of zero forward motion at every single stop sign. No, you don't. You, you, you do not do that. You've never gone through and accelerated through when a light turns yellow to try to make that, that curve. You've never driven a mile over the speed limit. Yes, you have. Every single person listening to this breaks traffic laws all the time, all the time, right? The people who you know have commented on on the the post I did this week have said, you know, well they could just follow the law. Um, and the other one I like is, oh, they they could just do what the officer says. And both of those I, I find it just be bizarre because, for the most part, there are a lot of people in this country who believe that like I, if you just follow the law, uh, you could live a life like me and never get pulled over by the police. And I'm telling you. The reason you're not getting pulled over by the police is not because you're not breaking a law. It's because you're not in that target zone, right? You're not out driving in the transition zone on the edge of town in a rural community between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m., 
you're, you're not there. If you were there, you would get pulled over, but you're not there, right? You're not there. So you're, you're not getting pulled over. If, if you leave your cul-de-sac in your very nice, you know, modern brand new car with no rust and, uh, you know, the exhaust, uh, you know, muffler, not making noise. And, and you, you drive down the street to the school and then to your office park and back, you're not in an area where police are targeting, right? You're, you're not in a crime area where we have an expectation that well, police will be out doing these type of investigatory stops in order to, uh, you know, in, in, in order to essentially stamp down crime or, or prevent crime from happening or, or, you know, be tough on the criminal element. So I, I want to just get to a place where everyone acknowledges that we all break traffic laws all the time, all the time, every day, all the time, routinely people break traffic laws and are, are never held to account for this. And I'm not arguing that that's bad. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that's a good thing. Most traffic laws, and, and this is really where I want to get to, most traffic laws are, um, how, how do I, how do I put this in a way? I'm not going to say frivolous because if you're driving with a taillight out, you know, you should get that fixed. Right. But they're not, uh, life threatening, right? Like no, I've, I've got two daughters. There's a certain scream that they do sometimes, right? Like they're, they're mad at each other or they're playing or the one stubs their toe and they scream like someone's going to die kind of scream. And I come running, my wife comes running, you know, like, oh my gosh, what happened? And, you know, it's like, okay, no, that did not warrant that level of scream. That level of scream is for dad, I'm, I'm about to die. Someone's about to get hurt. Come and come quickly. And so we've had to like teach our kids like, okay, you can go ahead and express your displeasure here, but not in that way. In that way, that that's out of proportion. When we look at traffic stops, they're not the scream come running because someone's about to die kind of thing. They're the, you know, nuisance kind of things, right? You, your taillight's out. You need to get that fixed. And, and you know this is the case because when you get pulled over for having a taillight out, what does the officer do, right? Well, the first thing, they'll generally tell you, you know, do you know your taillight's out? And I've gotten that one before. Uh, they'll say, you need to get that fixed, Right. Sometimes they'll write you up a warning. Sometimes they'll write you up a ticket. Um, but they generally just say, hey, you, you, I want you to know you got a taillight out. Go, go get that fixed. But then they let you drive off, right? Like they, they don't impound your car there. They don't like make you sit on the side of the road till AAA comes and fixes your taillight. They let you actually proceed on your way because driving with a taillight out is not creating chaos and mayhem on the roads. You, 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 the correlation between that and, you know, people dying on our streets is incredibly, incredibly low. Let's get you home. Let's make you aware. Go take care of it. Be a responsible citizen. Okay. When we get to things like speeding, and this is really the one that, that I've, I've been the most passionate about for a long, long time. Uh, when we get to things like speeding, we have a, a, a completely different kind of mindset, right? Like I, I'm sitting here in the office in Brainerd today and, and outside my window, there's a place where the police sit all the time. They'll come here and I say all the time. I mean like once every couple of weeks, you know, there'll be a police officer that sits outside here. It's the perfect speed trap place, right? Really, really wide lanes. Uh, I mean like, 18 foot lanes. I mean, these are huge, like industrial commercial size lanes, uh, a sweeping curve so they can sit on the curve and, and people coming around the curve can't see them. And they can sit here and just pull people over all day because everybody who drives through here is speeding. Everybody who drives through here is speeding. I see the police out there and I will leave and come back and I will be speeding. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to break the law. It's just, like the speed limit is 30 and the road is designed for 60 mile an hour speed. And it's really, really hard. You have to consciously focus, think like really, really take yourself uh, out of, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the mental, um, the, the second part of your brain and put yourself in the very first, like the, the active part of your brain in order to make yourself drive slow. Because the, all the signals in the environment are drive fast, drive fast, drive fast. 
So police just pull people over all the time. They just they just sit here and they pull people over all the time. And and I, I don't here in Minnesota, you, you, we have some deal where like some of the revenue goes locally, but a lot of it goes to the state. And I, I I'm not really sure what it goes. I I know that they don't get. It's not like a Ferguson situation where we're funding city hall with police fines. That doesn't happen. There's the civil asset forfeiture laws, which are really screwed up, which does uh, in, in, in ways that I think the optics are bad on um, because it would be very, I'm not suggesting the police officers are abusing this here locally, but if they wanted to, there's no accountability for that. It's a, it's a, it's one of these laws that's written um, with the assumption that all police are honest all the time. And, you know, for me, I think anytime you write a law like that, um, you're just you're begging for nefarious activity. Uh, as an aside, we used to have a, a thing we said in the army: um, there are no thieves in the army. There's no there are no thieves in the army, and that was that was like the thing you said. Um, how do you know there's no thieves in the army? Because we all put locks on our wall lockers, right? <laughs> no one's going to steal your stuff because it's locked. Um, it wasn't that nobody was a thief. It is just that we always lock, right? So you, 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 when you say like there are no thieves in the army, um, it's not that you just leave your wall locker unlocked then. Um, there's no thieves in the army because we don't allow people the opportunity to thieve, right? When we look at the police department and say, you know, there's no bad cops. Let's write a, let's write a law that says um, you can kind of, you know, arbitrarily seize assets that, you know, ancillary or not, you suspect to be involved in a crime, you, you, you may have the vast overwhelming percentage of police officers that do not abuse that power, but the optics of it is horrible. And the inducement of nefarious activity, um, whether it's happening or not, is just not right. I mean, to me, if I was a police officer, I want to get rid of that law. I, I want to change that because there is no way you can defend it. Um, there's no way you can defend it. So I, I've gotten a little bit off track here, but I, I want to get back to speeding because the idea that they can just sit out here and, and pull anyone over at, at any time creates this situation uh, where uh, police speeding stops become less about uh, enforcing behavior that is socially acceptable than it is about what what is being called these you know these um, investigatory stops right an, an opportunity to proactively create an interaction with the public as a way to and again these are my words fish for other things right and I, I say that because think about think about this street right outside the office here if the concern was that driving at high speeds is unsafe. Okay, which which I, I have that concern. I, I I think that that is a concern. If the concern is that driving at high speeds is unsafe, well, then we have to step back and look, and we can see that the police officers go out here all the time and just pull everybody over. I mean, most people are speeding. High high percentages of people are going over the speed limit, and I just made a broad brush statement. I'm sure there are some that are cringing at that. Look, I've done speed studies. I I've sat out not here outside the office, but at other parts of this state. I did an internship for the DOT um, back when I was an undergrad. And what I did for a month was go out and do speed studies, right? And there are places where every single person is speeding. You know, like you will have uh, a place where, you know, 80% of the people are going over the speed limit. And that's the, the situation out here from the office. Most people are, are speeding. So in that case... You have to ask yourself, if, if most people are speeding and going fast is not safe, then is this really an enforcement issue, right? Is this really an issue where enforcement of the speed limit is going to change behavior and, and make things safe? Now, maybe if the police officers sat out there 24-7, right, and had a, had a visual preference, uh, you know, a, a visual uh, presence out on the street, it would, it would have an impact, but that's not what they do, right? Um, they hide around the corner uh, to catch the people speeding. If, if they really wanted people to slow down, what would they do? They would sit out there and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here. If you speed, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get you, but you know, I'm going to be out here visually present so that you see and, and slow down. That's, that's not what they're doing. They're trying to, they're trying to catch people speeding, right? They're trying to have this, 
uh, interdiction in a sense. If we really cared about the people speeding, like if, if speeding was the problem we were trying to solve, what would we do if speeding was the problem we were actually trying to address and solve, what would we do in a situation like this? Well, we, we would ask a, a different set of questions. We would say, why are people speeding? Why, why is the average person, and we can assume that the average person is a non-deviant, right? <laughs> if 80% if of your population are deviants, what, 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 you know, where do you live, right? We're not most people obey the law or try to obey the law, right? So if most people are not in an instance obeying a traffic law, what's going on here? And I would suggest strongly that that law is not, that, that, that law is not right. The law is incorrect. And one of two things needs to happen. Either one, the speed limit needs to be changed because it, it doesn't reflect accurately the, uh, the, the, the way the street is designed and the way it's inducing people to drive. And that, that's actually traffic engineering 101, right? I mean, you, you hear all the times of people complaining uh, about speeding and they'll go out and do the traffic study and then find, yeah, there's a lot of people speeding and then they raise the speed limit. This, I, I get this complaint all the time. It's called the 85th percentile. And that, that is actually the correct way to do it if you won't do option number two. Option number two is to go out and change the design. If you're getting the results that you don't want, if you're getting results that are not safe, so we're in an urban area here, the speed limit is 30, people are routinely driving 40, 45 miles an hour, that is considered not safe through this section, what is the proper response? Enforcement's not going to do it because we do that and people still speed, right? And the majority of people are speeding, so there's not like it's a deviant behavior, what is the proper response? The proper response is to go out and redesign that street until you get the optimum outcome. Things like narrowing down the lanes, creating some edge friction, bringing the trees in, bringing the, the, bringing the curbs in, doing stuff to slow this section down so that the average person, the typical driver when they drive through, gets the visual cues that it's not safe to drive fast. You must drive slower. We don't do that. We, we never do that. We never do that. And let me give you the very cynical reason why. And then maybe I'll talk about like less cynical reasons. But I, I think if you wanted to be very, very cynical, and, and I'm, I'm not sure I believe this, but I, I certainly am sympathetic to it, right? I, I certainly think there's an element of this. If, if you want to be very, very cynical, it is quite convenient from a law enforcement standpoint to have a set of laws that nobody follows, that allow you to, at, at any point in time that you actually need to, to interdict with anybody, right? If, if we were going to design, let's say this is not the United States of America, this is like Stasi Germany, right? East Germany in the, in the Cold War. And, and we wanted, you know, uh, we're going to have our, our movie that's going to set out the way that the, the Stasi police go around and harass people, what we would do is we would expect them to set up these kind of arbitrary rules that go against human nature that nobody really follows that would allow you to just at any point in time go out and say, hey, you're breaking a rule. I'm going to bring you in. We're going to have this, you know, uh, this investigatory stop and I'm going to check out, you know, your papers and, and everything about you and make sure that uh, you're not up to no good because, you know, I'm looking after the state, right? Huh. <laughs> I, I know that just made a lot of you uncomfortable because you think I just called our police the Stasi. I, I did not. Um, but I am drawing some parallels because the mindset is uh, somewhat the same, right? We, we have these laws that nobody follows that, that are literally like designed so that human nature conflicts with what the law says for the vast majority of people all the time. Um, yet, you know, we uh, allow this to continue because it's convenient, right? It's, it's convenient from an enforcement standpoint. I'm going to play a, a, a real quick little clip here that I want you to listen to. Th this is from a video called speed kills your pocketbook. And it's, I think it's hilarious. It, it is, it, it is a, it is a breakdown of 
the engineering profession, the police profession and government and how this kind of unholy intersection of bad design uh, with random enforcement um, is, is really in the interest of governments, but not people. And I want to, I want to play this one clip for you because it's, it's a clip of an incident where a police officer is out and is just doing with, with a news crew is, you know, taking speed limits and finding that nobody exceeds the speed limit. Curb lane, 75, center lane, white car, 88. That's our record, 91. Everybody's been speeding. We haven't seen a single person not, that was doing the speed limit here. Police. Okay. <laughs> Everybody was speeding. We haven't seen a single person that has been doing the speed limit. And that's what I'm saying is like, I, I've been in those situations with a radar gun where every single person is speeding. It's not an enforcement problem. It's a design problem. And when we don't treat it as a design problem, it raises all these red flags. It's like, why, why do we really want, is it so important that we be able to pull anybody over at any time for any reason, uh, you know, or, or have a reason to pull anybody over at any time? Is that important from a crime fighting standpoint? And, and for those of you that say yes, okay, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I just don't want you to get away with the idea that we're pulling people over because they're breaking the law. We're not. Yes, they're breaking the law, but everybody's breaking the law. We're still choosing where and when to pull people over, right? We're still choosing that. I also, so that was the, that, that, that was the, um, the, the cynical view. I, I want to give you the, the non-cynical view too, because I, I think it's worth thinking through. And I, I'm not sure I wholly buy this one either. I kind of maybe buy like a blend of the two. Um, but I, I, I think it's important to realize that this is not like some grand conspiracy that was created to, you know, make the U.S. a police state. This is just something that we've we've kind of fallen into. You know, the, the whole idea of forgiving design, the whole idea that you make roads safer by widening out driving lanes, by adding recovery area, by adding clear zones by removing obstacles from the edge. This is, this is proven uh, design for roads, right? Between places where we're trying to get long distances at speed, we become really good at designing environments that are really safe uh, by, by applying these forgiving design principles. But when we get into urban areas, when we get into places where there's complexity, where cars turn, where cars stop, where cars park, where people walk across the street, where people walk adjacent to the street, where bikers are, where people on you know roller skates and rollerblades and skateboards are. When we have complex environments, forgiving design does the opposite, right? It, it signals to drivers uh, that pl things are safe when they're not. It, it signals to drivers that higher speeds than are safe are actually safe to them. Right. And there's an, there's an asymmetry there because the drive for things, the driver is safe, right? If the driver hits a pedestrian, the, the, the you know, the driver will suffer emotional damage, but they're not going to suffer physical damage. Right. This is Ben Hamilton Bailey. You can go back to the quote that he had. He said, you know, if we were going to have a, a symmetry, you know, a, a symmetry of risk, right as opposed to an asymmetry of risk. If we were going to have the risk be equal between the person outside the car and inside the car, when the person inside the car got into an urban environment, the seatbelt would come off automatically. A little knife would come out from the steering wheel and be, you know, pointed at the person's heart. And then if there were a, a collision of sorts where they ran into something, they would suffer the same level of, of damage and pain as the person outside. And, and his, his statement was what, what this would force them to do is people would drive like it mattered, right? They drive really slow and really cautious because they would be experiencing as much risk as the people outside the vehicle. That was hyperbole, right? That was like to make a point about how asymmetrical this risk is. But what we have done is we have taken an ethic of highway engineering and design and what is safe in a highway engineering and design type of ethic. And we have brought that into our neighborhoods and we've said it's safe here. It's now safe there. And the reality is, is these are very different environments and fast speeds, high speeds. When you induce high speeds, you kill people, you kill people and you create mayhem. 
So from a design standpoint, and the, there's a ton of reasons why this has happened. You know, I would blame the way that we have funded this stuff and the way we have centralized it. You know, you, you centralized uh, federal highway policy so that we could build the interstates. And then you funded all these local road building programs through those same kind of channels. And what you get is you get a conveyance of standards and information and know-how that now becomes the way we build every neighborhood. And it, it's just, it's just wrong. It's not a conspiracy. It's not like someone set out to do this, but you've, you've got the wrong values and the wrong ethics being applied in the wrong place. And now that we're here, what has kind of morphed is that uh, there's this very convenient now law enforcement tool where we can go out and at any time of the day, find people that are breaking the law because they're breaking the law all the time everywhere. Uh, and we can pull them over and we can do an investigatory stop and essentially find a nefarious activity. I suspect, and, and, and I'll, I'm, I'm willing to admit that I do not know. I, I'm, I have not been with police officers when they've patrolled high crime neighborhoods. I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with high crime neighborhoods. I, I don't, and, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. I I live in a community that is predominantly middle-class white people. I, I do not have experiences beyond that that are worthy of like deep. Uh, I, I cannot stand here and say I speak as an authority of this, right? Um, I suspect, and here's my theory. I, I, I suspect that when we go out and target as a, as a policy, high crime neighborhoods, be they, you know, racially diverse or not, um, but they generally are, as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar points out, you know, the, the Ebola-like problem of being poor, right? They, they generally are poor neighborhoods. When we go out to poor neighborhoods, we label them high crime, and we use these kind of, you know, random traffic stops as a pretext to these, you know, tougher policing or getting tough on crime or, uh, you know, the investigatory stop as a way to initiate contact and, you know, randomly scoop up bad people doing things they're not supposed to do. I can see how that creates resentment, right? I can also see how that is a crime fighting technique, right? Like I, I can see how people who are in law enforcement say this is a very effective technique for us. Like we catch a lot of bad guys doing this. And if we didn't have this technique, we wouldn't catch as many bad guys. I, I might not believe that, but I can see why they would say that. I can see how that would evolve and why they would make that argument. I can see why the tough on crime people would say, you know, we need this. We need to be able to do this. The, the point I'm trying to make is I can, I, can, I can see why people become resentful, right? If I'm pulled over 49 times as Philando Castile was, if I'm pulled over 49 times just for the crime of driving a junker car in a poor neighborhood and, and really living my life in, in all other ways, like a, a person in an affluent neighborhood driving a Lexus, but when their taillight is out, they don't get pulled over. But I do because we have, you know, sting nets in my neighborhood trying to be tough on crime. I'm going to feel oppressed. I'm going to be ticked off and, and, and I'm not going to like that. Right. Someone sent me uh, this week, a study uh, showing a, a correlation between people who have been tr pulled over for traffic violations and people who commit, uh, you know, more, more, um, it wasn't violent crime, but it was more, more serious crimes. Right. And their point was, well, look, you know, when we pull people over for traffic stops, we're, th these people are out committing other crimes. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you're focusing on the, the crime neighborhoods, right? If, if you equal it, if, if traffic laws were equally enforced across all neighborhoods, in other words, everybody pulling out of their cul-de-sac or their alley who had a, a taillight out were equally likely to get pulled over and equally likely to be ticketed, that correlation would go away, would go away, would completely go away. It's only because we do these things in poor and high crime neighborhoods as a law enforcement tool that you know, those correlations exist in the first place. So my, my, my sense is, my theory is like the people who are complaining about being oppressed, 
<laughs> the people are complaining that like we're being targeted, we're being profiled. This is not fair. They're, they're, they're right. They're right. This is not fair because the random rule as it's applied to you is not being, you know, randomly applied to other people who are breaking the law every day, all the time, because they're not poor. They're not in a poor neighborhood. They're not in a high crime neighborhood. On the other hand, the people who are saying, well, just follow the law, right? Like do, do like I do and just follow the law are, are blind to the fact that they're not following the law. They're just not having it enforced on them. And I would say the police officers are saying, this is a great way, this is a really good tool for us to interdict uh, in criminal neighborhoods and find bad people. I suspect they're right too, right? I, I suspect that they are also correct. I suspect that they are also identifying a, a, a technique and an approach that actually works for them. Here's where I want to go with this. Because I'm not pretending that we're going to solve, uh, you know, the, 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 the problems that we see like in the Philando Castile case, which I said, we're not going to talk about police shootings. I, I can't say that I understand what happened. It doesn't make sense to me, but I have to ask myself, are we really building a strong America? Are we really building a great nation? Are we really adjust people? Are, are we really focused on the safety of our places with the current approach that we have by ignoring speed in our design, essentially by saying, here's our design. And then enforcement is what's going to deal with the speed. We're really not dealing with speed, right? We, we are continuing to perpetuate a cycle of people speeding. And as a society, we're, we're seemingly okay with that. We then, are kind of inducing a pattern, a system, uh, an approach to enforcement that is rather random. And as, as we've seen in, in recent years, uh, and, and maybe, you know, has existed for a long time, but is now being, um, you know, put in our faces, uh, probably rightly so, you know, is, is now something that thanks to, smartphones and what have you is, is not being, um, you know, swept under the rug or a, a he said, she said, where one side is a law enforcement. The other side is, is someone with a long record of getting pulled over by the police. Right. We're seeing that this approach is, is having some negative effects. Now I, I want to, I, I want to quote, uh, someone from a, uh, a, a law enforcement, advocacy organization. Um, this actually comes from an article in a law enforcement journal that I pulled out and I'm going to, I'm going to quote because it, it quotes this guy who's with the national tactical offers association. He says, quote, traffic stops and domestic violence are the highest risk calls. You have no idea what you're walking into said John Nagy, executive director of the national tactical offers association. If I had to rank them, I'd rank traffic stops first and domestic violence second. So traffic stops are the most dangerous things that police officers do. And this article goes on to, to point out that, you know, from 2000 to 2009, 118 officers were killed conducting traffic stops, 82 uh, domestic violence complaints, and 74 during disturbance calls. And there were other websites that I looked at and saw that said that these traffic stops are, are, are by far the most dangerous thing police officers do. More police officers are killed and injured doing these traffic stops than anything else, than anything else. So I'm sitting here, you know, in, in my office in Brandon, Minnesota, and I'm saying, I want police to be safe. I, I do not want to put law enforcement in harm's way. When, when, when we need law enforcement to show up and actually go into harm's way, I, I, I want to do that purposefully. I, I don't want to do that willy nilly. I, I don't want to do that on a whim. If we're going to ask, and, and I'm former military, if we're going to ask our military to go fight a war, we're going to fight a war and we're not going to, we're, 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 we're not going to go light, right? We're going to do everything we can to win. If we're going to ask our police officers to go out and risk their lives, it better be for something that counts, damn it, right? It better be for something that matters. I'm also seeing neighborhoods that are disadvantaged. 
And I'm hearing people in neighborhoods that are disadvantaged saying, look, we're being picked on, we're being oppressed, we're being treated unfairly, we're living in an oppressive type of society. And I'm sympathetic to that. Like, I get it. I see it. I, 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 I think that that is a reality that, that, you know, this system has brought about. And I'm actually sitting here as a parent, as a husband, as uh, someone who lives in a neighborhood, in a community, and I'm watching people speed all over the place. And I'm watching our street designs be uh, despotic to people who are not outside of an automobile. And I look at my profession, the engineering profession, as largely not caring about this at all or, or saying, well, law enforcement will take care of that. And I'm putting these three things together. Like I want it to matter for police. I don't want people to be oppressed and I want our streets to be safe. And I'm saying, I think we can fix this, right? Like I think we can fix this. So how, how, do, how would I go about fixing this? The first thing I would do is I'd say, all right, speeding now, from now on, if, if I'm the mayor of a city, I'm saying, I want to know where people are speeding. You, you show me, you map this out. Give me a GIS map and show me where chronic speeding is. And then I want to deploy my engineers, my planners, my urban designers, and all the people who can add something to this conversation to those speeding spots. And I want them redesigned so people drive slower. And we're going to keep iterating back and forth and iterating and iterating and iterating until the 85th percentile speed, the vast majority of people are driving at a speed that is safe. And if we're not doing that, we are not a moral people. Then, I, I, th this is the approach I take from now on everywhere, right? This is the approach I go out and I take everywhere in response to speeding. Now my police force, they, they can pull over speeders, right? Because the only thing they're going to get now are the deviants, right? Are the true people who are deviating from the law. And fine, you, you want to make a correlation there, go right ahead. But if, if, if the majority of people are speeding, they're not deviants. I want to get it to where the design brings people to where they should be driving at safe speeds. And then we can have law enforcement focus on the deviants, which is what we want them to do, right? We want them to do things that matter. Okay, here's the second thing I do. And, and this is a little bit more of a leap because the, the first thing is right in my wheelhouse and I get and I understand. The second thing is, is a little bit outside of it, but I feel like it's technologically possible and also very easy to do. I, I can picture, let, let's, let's picture in our mind Philando Castile driving down the street and the police officer sees his car with a taillight out, Okay. The, the taillight's out. Here's what I would like to see happen. This police car is or, or should be equipped with a camera, maybe multiple cameras. I know that officers have computers in their car. I would love to see a button pressed. That button would then capture the last 30 seconds of, of whatever is on that camera, along with whenever it continues until the button is pressed again. It would give audio for the officer. The officer could describe what's going on, say, hey, here is a car. It is a, you know, whatever make and model. Here's the license plate. It is automatically date and time stamped. They can say, I have observed the taillight is out. You can clearly see this through this video. Bam, the button is pressed. That gets downloaded, gets sent. It's automated. They send them that Philando Castile gets home a couple days later, gets a ticket in the mail. The ticket is perhaps a warning on the first time saying, hey, look, dude, uh, we want to let you know for your health and for everybody else's safety that you've got a rear light missing. You weren't wearing your seatbelt. You were doing some other like non-life-threatening thing, but something that is a problem, is a nuisance. You were doing this. You were observed by a public safety official in doing this. If you would like to view the documentation, here's the website. You can go enter your citation number. You can view the documentation. If you want to dispute this, here's where you can go to do it. Uh, but we saw you doing this and um, you need to have this fixed within uh, seven days. Uh, send, you know, call us and acknowledge that you have fixed it. And 
if you get caught again, you can get a ticket. If you, you, you see, I'm, I'm not going to get into like the, how the, 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 you know, the fine should be stepped up and what have you. But if the idea here is to actually enforce the law or actually, actually go step back. If the idea is to actually have a safe environment to me, that is a much safer way to run a city, right? We're not asking the cops to go out and, and, and do these really high risk, dangerous interdictions randomly, right? We're not uh, asking people to be subjected to in certain neighborhoods at certain times in certain places, police state type oppression, right? We're not. And we're actually then dealing with the, the real true public safety issues at play. I'm not going to pretend that that is like the golden solution, right? I'm not going to pretend that, I, you know, I've thought this all through and like, this is exactly how this, this will solve every problem we have. I'm, I'm, I'm not that naive. Right. But I think that this kind of thinking, the kind of thinking that acknowledges that traffic laws are uh, not, uh, you know, n not the hill we as a society want to die on. Right. It's not, it's not the place where we want to make our stand between, um, you know, chaos and mayhem and, and order and decency, right? It's, that, that's not the place. That's not the place. If, if we can agree on that, if we can agree that we want to actually generally make things safer, we want to make this country safer. We want to make our streets safer. We want to make our places safer. We want to make things better for people. And if we also can say that, you know, we want to use law enforcement respectfully, respectful for the officers. I don't want to put them randomly in danger for no good reason. I don't want to ask them to do things that are going to put their lives at risk for very little benefit. Now, let me deal with the, the very last thing here. And that is without investigatory stops, are we just going to have rampant crime? I had someone send me, you know, uh, you know that Timothy McVeigh was caught with a random stop, right? As, as if like Timothy McVeigh would, would never have been caught in any other way, right? I don't know. And, 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 you know, go ahead and cherry pick your example. Someone said, you know, Ted Bundy, the uh, serial killer was caught through a random traffic stop. Okay. <laughs> like I, I, I'm, I'm always amused by these stories. Like, okay, we did this one thing and it, it worked this one time. So now let's, you know, let's institutionalize it across the board with no other statistics, no other data, just like cherry picking a few results. The pushback is that I've gotten uh, from law enforcement people is okay. Without the investigative stop, what do we do? Like, I, I, how do we, how do we um, stop crime? How do we, you know, help these poor struggling neighborhoods who are, like one person wrote, you know, they're, they're overrun with gang bangers. How do we deal with them? And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend that I, I, I know exactly. But if you're telling me that the only way we can begin to control crime in high crime areas is the random you know, using traffic laws as a random pretext to essentially, you know, stop and get up in people's business. And that is what law enforcement has become in this country. I, I'm sad. I'm really, really, really sad because that's not the kind of country I want to live in. And that's not the kind of America that I think any of us really wants, right? That's, that's certainly not the Fourth Amendment. That's certainly not, uh, you know, the intention of, of the founding fathers when they wrote the Constitution. That's certainly not uh, the type of civil society that any of us aspire to live in, right? I, I know there are really smart people out there working on this. I, I know there are really smart people out there in law enforcement and in the law enforcement community who... Uh, you know, have ideas on how to solve this problem. What I'm contending is that the laziness of the engineering profession should not be a pretext for those things. And the more and more we make it, the more we're going to have a divided society, the more we're going to put cops at risk, and the more that we're going to have 
designs and places and streets that are just simply not safe. I want our laws to matter. I want them to be enforced. And to have that, we have to have a different mindset and a different approach to traffic violations. It is time to end the routine traffic stop. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.